Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we thank you so much. You know, I thank you, Lord, for all the blessings you gave me this week and last week. And God, I just thank you for everything you're doing day by day in my life. I thank you for every person who made it here safely this morning. I thank you for waking us up in the morning, Father God. I thank you for the restoration you bring into households, to the, to the restoration you bring into marriages, God, to the, to the blessings and to the freedom. Somebody say amen to freedom that you're bringing to each household, God. But Father, as we go forward, we just ask you in this moment, God, that you would take over our hearts and minds, that you would captivate us with your word, that we would not be distracted for a moment, God, but that we're here to hear from you and to seek after you in Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, how about this? And the church shouted, and the church clapped, come on, amen. And the church did a jumping jack. That's not a jumping jack, but come on. Amen. Somebody backstage is doing jumping jacks. I hear them. I thank God for what he's doing in your life. Amen. These last few weeks, we've been on our I Am series, and, and it's just been an awesome time. I, I want to take a moment, as I always do, but maybe not often enough. I want to thank our setup team who came in this morning. And uh, they come in every morning, 8 o'clock, and they're loading trucks, and they're doing all types of stuff. That's right. Come on. Amen. We got some of our teens right now. They're people working the TVs backstage, the guys in the balcony working lights, the guys in the back working sound, and the ushers securing the place, and the, about the 15 people working in kids' ministry. Now, we just thank God for every volunteer. Without them, it would not be possible. Amen? And I always say this. I thank God for kids' ministry because I could not preach with your kids in the room. Amen. And all the parents said, that's not too funny. I don't know. What do you, what do you say about my kid? I'm just saying that it's easier to preach without crying kids. Amen? And uh, but I thank God that we have people here who are able to take care of those kids, sow into them, amen? And they're not just doing arts and crafts, they're learning about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We've been talking these last couple of weeks on the I Am statements of Jesus found in the book of John, and the last week was I Am the Light of the World, the previous week was I Am the Bread of Life, and this week is actually uh, one that really ministers to my heart, and it's I Am the Gate of the Sheep. And I want to talk to you today about before I do that, i got to really give you the context of these scriptures. And in this passage of scriptures, I'm in John, I'll be in the 10th chapter in verse 1 if you want to prepare yourself and go there. But in chapter 9, something really interesting happens. Something kind of just weird. Jesus comes upon this blind man, and this man was blind from birth, and his disciples said to him, Hey, Master, why is he blind? Who was in sin, his mother or his father? And Jesus said, neither of them, but yet so that the glory of God could be shown. And then Jesus proceeded to spit in the mud, take the mud, put it in the guy's eyes, and make a mess in his eyes. And then Jesus said, go clean off your eyes in the pool of Siloam, which to me is ironic because if Jesus had not put dirt in his eyes, he would not have to go to the pool of Siloam. But sometimes God will put you in a dirty situation to see if you're Take a step of faith and wash yourself where he tells you to. And so then Jesus, he goes and and he goes his separate way. And the guy goes to the pool and he washes himself. And the Bible says immediately his eyes are opened. And then the Bible says the whole town celebrated, right? No, in chapter 9, something weird happens. All the religious people and all the Jewish religious leaders, they got mad that the guy was healed. And they're like, dude, who healed you on the Sabbath, on, on Saturday? Who did that on the Lord's Day? 
And he's like, it was Jesus of Nazareth. And they're like, you're a liar. You weren't blind. And they interrogated this man. And they questioned him and brought him before all the Jewish leaders. And then they brought mommy and daddy and said, is that your son? And they're like, yeah, that's our boy. Was he blind from birth? And they said, you can ask him. He's old enough to tell you. And they brought him back up. And who healed you? And who opened your eyes? It was Jesus of Nazareth. And they said, Jesus couldn't do it because Jesus is not from God. And he is demon-possessed. And he said, listen, ungodly people don't do godly things. And they were so upset at this unnamed blind man that he kind of upstaged them and made them look foolish before everyone who was onlooking. And the Bible says that because of this, they began to to insult him and they began to yell at him and they cast him out of the synagogue or the temple and they forbid him to come back because he was a disciple now of Jesus. He was following Christ and they were not You would think that if someone were healed from their blindness, that people would be happy, but they were mad. Not everybody is going to be excited about the blessings God puts in your life. And they could not see that Jesus was the light of the world. Never before, all through Scripture, you can look all through the Old Testament, never were the blind eyes open. That was only a miracle that was foretold of the Messiah. And so if they gave credit to Jesus for opening this man's eyes, they were saying he is Messiah. He is the Savior. But they didn't want to do that, so they said it wasn't Jesus. And Jesus runs into the man at the end of chapter 9. And he runs into him and he talks to him and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Meaning, do you believe in the Messiah? And and the man, the blind man, the formerly blind man said, show me where he's at. And Jesus said, I am he. And the Bible says the man dropped down and began to worship him. And Jesus began to rebuke the Jewish leaders and he called them spiritually blind. Meaning, they're able to see naturally, but their spiritual eyes were closed. Their spiritual eyes had an inability to see that Jesus was the true light of the world. He was opening blinded eyes. Have you been to that point in your life where Jesus has opened your blind eyes? He's opened my eyes numerous times to different sins in my life, to different errors in my way, maybe to the way I talked to my wife and I was angry, and 10 minutes later he said, Louis, that was not right. And my wife said, Amen. And maybe you've been to a place in your life where you've done something and instantly the Holy Spirit, have you been there? Where he said, that wasn't right. And of course the flesh says, I don't care. But the Spirit says, man, I should have acted, somebody say differently. That spiritual blindness being illuminated right there. There's blindness to the fact that sometimes we think we know how God should act. Sometimes we say, well, I don't think God should do this. Well, why would God this? But then a couple years later, when you're able to see the whole picture of what was going on, you see why God did it, and spiritual eyes are open. Somebody say open. And Jesus reveals to you why he's done what he's done. Amen? This is the backdrop for what Jesus says next. So Jesus rebukes everyone. He calls the the religious leaders blind, meaning that their faith in Jesus, or rather in God, and their access to heaven is merely based on their ability to keep the law. So back in the Bible's time, at the time of Jesus, there was what was called the Mosaic Law. Not just the Ten Commandments, but the 635 mitzvahs and the things they were to do and not to do, and all the commandments of God. 
And the Bible says that the Pharisees kept it to the letter of the law. They did everything and they were so superstitious about the the law. And, And what Jesus was saying was, I am here to fulfill the law. You can't see that I am God in the flesh because here, here it goes, because then that means you would have to have faith in me and not your works. There's nothing you can do to be good enough. There's not enough good on the planet you could do to get into heaven. Your access to heaven is not based on your works. It's only based on faith in Jesus Christ that you are saved by grace. Outside of that, there's no access into heaven. Outside of that, you're unable to get into heaven. Now, all the people said, amen, I don't have to do works. No, the Bible says by your faith, you do works. For faith without works is dead. But your hope and trust cannot be in what you do for God. It can't be because you do a setup in the morning. It can't be because you work sound. It can't be because you teach kids for Sunday school. Your faith has got to be in Jesus. And on top of that, you lay down works so people know you're a child of God. So everybody not doing works, you're missing a big part. I just want to say that. You're missing a big part of what a Christian is called to be. Because faith without works Where's my Bible scholars? Is dead, the Bible says. And so Jesus is saying you're spiritually blind because your hope is in your actions and not in the fulfillment of the law, which is me. And he says this in verse 1 of chapter 10 in the book of John. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, those are the religious leaders. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief, and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, amen, and he leads them out. And when he's brought all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they would never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am, somebody say, I am the gate. Your Bible might say the door for the sheep. And all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. And so Jesus is talking to these religious leaders, and he's kind of really giving them some whippings with his words. He begins by using things that people would understand. He's in and around the area of Judea, which is heavily uh, populated with shepherds, and shepherding was a big thing at the time. And so Jesus is not telling a parable here. He's not telling a story of something that didn't happen. He's telling what happens every morning to the shepherds who walk around. So there's probably a group of Pharisees that he's yelling at, and there's probably a bunch of onlookers who are most likely undoubtedly shepherds. And Jesus begins using this analogy of a shepherd. 
this sheep pen. In Eastern times, a sheep pen was a walled-in area where the sheep were kept at night for safekeeping. And the thing about it is there would be sheep from many different flocks inside of one pen. So there'd be a giant pen, probably twice the size of this room, and there'd be a gatekeeper there, and there'd be my flocks, and there'd be Mitha's flocks, and, and Josh would have his flocks in there, and Pastor Carmen would have her, her herd there, and everybody would have a herd in there, and everybody in the town would have one herd. Somebody say amen. You all own 25 sheep. No praise. Okay. All right. And Jesus is saying that all the sheep are in one pen. But the shepherd knew each one of his own sheep, and each sheep has a name. You're not just some human number 17,432,300 in existence to God. You are you to God. And that, that may sound silly, but when you think of the vastness and the greatness of God, and you think of how complex his job is at being God and the fact that he's just so darn good at it, and you wonder why, as the psalmist would say, you know me by name. A humbling feeling should come over you to know that the God who can spin the earth and keep the sun burning knows you by name. And scripture says he knows the number of hairs on your head, even the bald guys. Amen. He knows how much hair you lost also. Amen. He knows how much hair you're going to have when you breathe your last breath. He knows all things. And he says, the shepherd knows each sheep. And the shepherd would communicate with each sheep, and he would go to the pen and call them out by name. Because there were different sheep from different shepherds in these pens, the shepherds would have to come in and call just theirs out. Just theirs. And after they would call them out, they would walk ahead of the sheep, and the sheep would follow them, and they would go about their daily business that they would do with their sheep. And the sheep were kept in this pen to keep them from wild animals, from thieves, and from robbers. And Jesus, in turn, he says this to the Pharisees, that whoever enters into the sheep pen by any other way but the gate, there was only one gate into the sheep pen. He says, whoever enters by any other gate is a thief or a robber. And that may sound like the same, but in Eastern times, a thief robbed you in private and a robber robbed you in public. And so Jesus covered both. He said, listen, you're either going to be a thief or a robber if you try to get into the pen. Now the pen... It kind of stands for two things. It stands for heaven, and it also represents the church. You can't get into heaven any other way but through the gate. And Jesus says, I am the gate. And you can't get into church and be saved any other way than by being saved through Christ. And so he draws a picture of the Pharisees being religious leaders. And he says, some of you have come into the pen trying to be a shepherd, but God's not called you. Those are the prophets who speak when God hasn't spoken. The apostles who call themselves apostles but have no apostolic work and don't know how to be a pastor but want to be a bishop and or an apostle. And he says, you have no work and you are a thief or a robber and you're in the church for gain and for nothing else but yourself. And the body of Christ is full of people who have not been called. I might get into some trouble on my podcast now. And people want to call themselves something. And I'll say this to the day I die. I dare not go to heaven and, and say, I am Prophet Burgos. And he says, what? I just called you to be an usher. 
I want to stay in my lane. I want to be who God called me to be and not be anything else. I'm afraid of people who say, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a pastor. You don't want this. Trust me. Because then you got to deal with yourself. And Jesus is saying, anybody else who comes in except through my call, except the divine appointment of God, anyone who comes in without the proper call, you are a, somebody say thief. Or a robber. And Jesus says to these religious leaders, he is speaking to them and directing this first part at them. He said, anybody who comes any other way, you are here to do no good. And he's speaking of these religious leaders who thought they were so right and thought they were so perfect. And they looked down upon other people. And people would come to the synagogue and they would look down on them as they prayed. And they would judge them. And they would say all types of things about them. And just like this blind man, they were insulting him. And they told them, at one point, you were steeped in sin at birth. Which is not true because Jesus said in the beginning of verse chapter 9, he said, it was not because there was sin he was blind. It was so that my glory may be shown. But the religious people, the people who thought Thought they had it all together. The people who try to put themselves in front of others like they are perfect. He said those people are thieves and liars and robbers and they're not here to do anything good but bad. He said those people, those be careful of. And he's calling the Pharisees thieves and robbers. And the Pharisees have got to be, they're so educated. They know a lot about the word. Somebody say the word. They know a lot about the word of God. But yet, the end of that verse really cracks me up. They did not understand him. If somebody told me that, I'd be in an outrage. You said, what about me? They were so spiritually blind, they could not even think or contemplate of themselves as illegitimate leaders in or thieves and robbers. So it did not register and they could not reconcile what Jesus was saying. Because they were so steeped in self-righteousness. Never get to the point in your Christian walk where someone can't say something to you and you automatically dismiss it and you don't think for a second, is that true? You should test it by the Spirit, the Bible says. And they were so lost. Hear this out. They were so lost by being found. They couldn't see Christ. They were so bought into their own lies. They couldn't see or understand God was right there. And Jesus says, listen, if you have entered into the sheep pen by any other way. Why is he saying all this? Because they were accusing this man of being a devil worshiper because they called Jesus the devil. And he's saying, listen, he's not in the mess. You're in the mess and you need to get it together, not him. He's in the light. His eyes have been opened. He sees me for who I am. And they were too dumb to understand it. And then he goes into his second metaphor. He says this, I am the gate or the door of the sheep. And when he says it, he says very truly. Both times he said, very truly, I tell you. He's bringing extra attention to what he's saying. He's bringing a new depth. He's saying, listen, I'm about to drop a spiritual truth. Listen to me closely. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Again, he says very truly for the second time, he says it and he's bringing this attention. He says, I am the gate or the door of the sheep. The sheep pens had one way in 
and one way out. And this is also a metaphorical view of the tabernacle of Moses where they did the sacrifices that there was only one doorway in. But I'll cover that when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one doorway in to make sacrifices. But he says, I am the gate and the door of the sheep pen. And in the sheep pen, there was only one door and or gate. And the unique thing is, if there wasn't a gate, the job of the shepherd at night was to sleep across the threshold of where the door should be so that if anything tried to cross the path of the threshold, the shepherd would, maybe that doesn't make sense to you. He's saying, I am the physical, literal door. Next week we'll talk about, he says, I laid down my life. Literally, I laid down my life at night and I stand at the door for my sheep. He says, no one makes me lay down. I lay down my because I am the door. And if there is no physical door, the shepherd lays down. I am this door that I'm talking about. And nobody gets in or out unless I say so. This is liberating in thought because it tells me, number one, that nothing can come in to attack me if the shepherd's on duty. And number two, I can't get out. Have you ever tried to leave God and God kept you? Isn't that the most frustrating thing when you knew you wanted to walk away from God, but God still gripped you? When you knew you wanted to sin, but God made no provision for it? When you knew you wanted to act like you wanted to get rowdy? You want to just get wrong and get raunchy? You want to cuss somebody out? You're just like, can't do it. Holy Spirit is in me. That's what he's talking about. I am the door. I am the gate for the sheep. I am. And he says it. Anybody else who's come in before me is a thief or a robber. Understand, now he's talking about national leaders in the past. He's talking about the kings of Israel, the judges, the prophets, all those who were against God's will. He says, those who came in before me, they were liars and thieves. But here I am. Here I am. I am the truth. I am the only gate into heaven, and now I am here. I've always been here, but people need to recognize now that I am this gate into the sheep pen. I am the door. He says, I'll fight off attackers when they come. I am the door. I am your shield, your protector, because I am at the door. I will alert you when there is temptation coming your way. I will bring to your attention when the enemy is trying to destroy you because I am the door and nothing will get through the door. You have to guard the walls because he calls you a watchman but I am the door, man. I am the physical door. He says, you don't have to worry about nothing coming through the door. You could sleep tight because I am the door. You can rest in me knowing that I am the door. If there is a thief coming I'm the door. Don't, don't worry about it. And if the thief comes in because the door remains shut, the thief is going to get jumped inside the pen because the door is going to stay closed. But he says, he says, I am the door. And this door, it kept the sheep in at night when maybe a sound would scare them and they would want to go on a little stampede out. The, the door kept them in. And that's so representative of when you want to walk away from God when things have gone just all types of bad and your life looks horrible, but yet for some reason you feel this desire, this drive to stay faithful to the King of Kings, to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. I don't just keep the enemy out, he says, I keep the believer in. 
I keep you in. A door is designed not just to let you in, but it's designed to keep some people out, keep some things out, to secure some things. And so when you have something that you want to secure, you lock the door. And Jesus says, when you want to be secure, understand, I have the door on lock. I am the only thing that can offer you true protection and true peace. I am this door. And Jesus declares that anybody who came before him, meaning all the religious leaders in the history of Israel who led them astray, they're thieves and robbers. They cared not for the spiritual needs of people. They cared only for their physical needs. But Jesus says, me, Messiah, I am this door, and I will do what they have not or could not do in your life. And what I love about this I am statement, once again, if you've not noticed, two things happen at the end of each I am statement. One is people get infuriated. And let me tell you something. When the devil gets mad about what Jesus says, your ears should perk up and not just be. You should be excited that something that Jesus said upset the flesh of men so tremendously. But like always, there's two things that happen. He gives a promise and people get upset. So people get upset, but he gives two promises, and promise number one is amazing. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus promises that anyone who enters through him and profess that he is Lord, that he is Messiah, that they will be saved. Saved from eternal damnation, saved from the grip of Satan, saved from the lies of sin, saved from all your past mistakes, saved. No amen. Okay, I keep going. Saved from your fornication, saved from your nasty addictions, saved from your inability to be good all by yourself, saved from that. He'll save you. Church, if you've come through Jesus, you are saved. If you've said the sinner's prayer, although sometimes you may not feel like it in or act like it, you are marked by God. And sometimes it takes a process for you to go from being saved into who he wants you to be, and that's called sanctification, that through the process of your walk with God, you become more like Christ. You are saved. You will be maturing and growing in your faith. But the promise of Jesus is that if you enter through him, that you will be saved. And if you've made that commitment, you are saved. But, but, there, but there, there's something about people who come through Jesus. There's something about that. There is a condition to this. Because he said, he said this. He said, my, I go into the sheep pen. Because understand, he's not calling himself a physical door. He's calling himself the shepherd who lays at the door. And so then he gets up in the morning. He walks into the sheep pen and says, Hey, yo, Adam, come here. Melvin, come here. Stephanie, he calls you out one by one. And here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Some of you aren't to that place in your walk with God yet because you don't know your sheep's, or rather your shepherd's voice. And so if you've come through him, that means you know his voice. And if all you know is the voice of Pastor Lewis, you might not make it to heaven. If all you recognize as God is when I preach and then you hear the word for that first time all week long, you might have some problem with the pearly gates. But if you can get by yourself, 
during the course of your week and dig into your Bible and hear the word of God and it resonates in your heart and he speaks a word over you and you recognize that's God speaking to me, it's because the sheep of Jesus know their master's voice. The sheep of Jesus are disciples of Jesus and those are the ones that will be saved because there will come a day, there will come a day. Understand Jesus used this analogy that there's multiple flocks inside of one pen. Not everybody in the church is truly saved. That's what he's saying. And he says, one day I'll come. In verse 11, or rather, yeah, 11, next week, he says, I am the good shepherd. And one day he'll come and he'll call his people out in the second coming of Christ. And in that moment, you're going to see those who were in the pen were really his and those who were here just trying to not go to hell. I know that sounds terrible to say, but that's so prevalent across the American church. And he says this, if you come through me, you are saved and you've been following my commandments. And so the sheep, he says, come Come, come, and they come, and he's going to go take them out to graze and take them out to pasture. Understand that he says, you have to follow my commands. John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, talking to his 12 disciples, if you love me, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. If you love him, you'll live like he lived. You're going to love like he loved. You're going to forgive like he forgave. You're going to pray like he prayed, and you'll seek God like he sought the Father. I cannot say this enough to you, the importance of your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Sundays will not do it. Sundays can't get you to heaven. It just gives you marching orders for the rest of the week. You've got to get into the face of God. You've got to learn and know your master's voice. You have to know who the great shepherd is of your life. And he says, if you love me, John 14, 15, you're going to keep my commandments. And he's talking about all these sheep analogies. And he says, my sheep, they know my voice. And when I go into the pen and I call my sheep out, the ones who came through me, they're going to be somebody's shout saved. That was your shout? I'm going to try it again. I'm going to edit this. Don't worry. Somebody shout saved. Save! Our Puerto Rican, see that? <laughs> He says, he says, all those who enter through the gate. And, and I love this because you have to really look at the, the language that he uses. He could have said to the gate. And I, I say this to you all the time. You can't go to the cross. You, you have to take Jesus off, go through the cross. If you just go to the cross, you're going to think he's still paying the price for your sins. It's done. And you've got to stop sinning. Don't go to the cross. Get past it. Get past it. Don't run back to it and say, I did it again. Live in the grace of God. Live in the freedom that you are free from sin. He says all those who go through, the, not to the door, he said all those who go through the gate are saved. That's something, I can just call it quits right here. That's enough for you to go home and stew on the rest of the week. But there's two more promises that he gives. Amazing promises. Promise number two, they will come in and they will go out and they're going to find pasture. Now, that's not a big Greek word for pastor. That means pasture. 
like take you out, take the sheep out to the, to the big area of grass, and the sheep eat the grass, and they get water, and he feeds them, and takes care of them, and maybe that hasn't resonated with you yet. What he's saying is this, when you follow me, and when you come to the gate, are you listening? When you come to the gate, you will find daily provision. Somebody, that's right there. That's worth celebrating. I will guide you into spiritual provision, and I will guide you into physical provision if you hear my voice, and if you let me walk ahead of you like the shepherd does, and you follow after me and stay in line with me, because the shepherd would walk just in front of his flock so the sheep would see him and keep on following, and until the shepherd stopped, the sheep didn't stop, and some of you like to stop when Jesus is still trying to move you, and some of you want to stop when he's still trying to work in you. You can't want to camp out where God's trying to help you pass through and then cry because you don't know why your life is in the place it's in. God says, I'm trying to get you to follow the shepherd. And when I move, you move just like that. No, okay. Okay. I, I don't want to have nobody backslide in the church. And he, he says, he says, he said, he said this. He said, if you follow me, there's going to be pasture, provision. God will provide. And not just physical needs, but he's going to provide spiritual things and healing and freedom in your spirit, authority and power, and you will grow. And the beauty, the beauty of this thought process is that this pasture and provision comes as you follow, oh my goodness, yes, I said the word, you have to follow Jesus. He said, he said, you find pasture. You're going to go in when I tell you to. You're going to come out when I tell you to, and you're going to find pasture. Go in and come out means you're going to have freedom. Okay, Pastor Carmen, you and somebody here, I don't know, was excited about freedom. That you again, Stephanie, my number one fan. Okay. You will go in and you'll come, you'll have freedom. Sheep that come in and go out feel safe. Sheep that come in and go out are protected. And sheep that come in and go out know, know, they know for a fact that their God, or rather their shepherd, in your case, your God is with you. And you have to take this faith journey with Jesus. You cannot get to a place in your walk with God where you are not following God, where you're just stagnant. No, you have to Follow him continuously, and until he stops, you don't stop. And the, the message of Jesus is not this. He doesn't say, I'll take you to this place, and then you're going to have everything you need at once. He says, no, listen, I'll take you to this place, and then, and then we're going to go to get the grass here. We'll get the water there. Then we'll go back to have shelter here. Then we'll get the grass here and the water here and shelter here. Have to go back and grass here and water there. Maybe you don't get what I'm saying. You're going to have to follow me today and follow me on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. and Sunday. You can't go ahead and say, I'm going to be in church on Sunday, cuss the folks out on Wednesday, having no faith on Tuesday, come back to God at City Links, back on Thursday, have a negative thought process, Friday sinning, Saturday not knowing if I want I want to go to church Sunday, barely making it, feeling renewed, back over the process again. That's not what he wants. He, he said, you go in, you come out, you follow the shepherd, 
And until the shepherd stops going, you don't stop going. Are you receiving this today? He'll give you provision for your life. I'll provide your daily needs. I'll keep you safe. You'll be able to come and go with God's protection. You'll be able to not only provide for yourself, but your family. No matter what happens, things may seem like God won't provide. It seems well, times will come where you have to use a lot of wisdom with your finances. Use wisdom with your school and your education. Use wisdom with what God has given you. But there'll be days when you need supernatural provision. And if you have faith in God, it will come. I'm living proof of it. If I begin to tell you all the blessings I had the past two weeks, you might want to be mad at me and jealous at me. God has poured out on me in such a way you wouldn't even know possible. God has blessed me through people in this church so tremendously that all I could do was go home and have tears in my eyes and say, God, you've been so gracious to me even when I feel like I don't deserve it. God, you provide all of my needs. God will use the people inside the church and outside the church to bless the people of God. You've got to have faith in him. Every morning, God will wake you up and he'll call you from your sheep pen, your a.k.a. bedroom. Maybe somebody said more like a pig pen, whatever it is. God's going to call you out, wake you up every morning, and take you on a journey called faith. And every day, you've got to wake up you got to give thanks to God. you got to give God time in your life. And, and as you follow the master, he'll take you into pasture. He'll take you into spiritual provision. He'll take you into physical provision. And he'll supply you with all the strength you need to walk this godly walk. And the whole church said, thank you, Jesus. As you keep your eyes on Jesus, as my wife said earlier, as she stood here singing her head off, and before she said it, she said, he is the author and the finisher of my faith, and God is faithful to complete that in which he started. That's the God you serve. He's faithful. He'll never leave something undone. And when it looks undone, stay tuned. He's going to do something amazing. If you... If you've ever been to a place in your life where you felt like God left you hanging, I would dare you to go back there and just keep on, just stay tuned because God will do something that will rock your mind. When you least expect it, that's when God will bring fulfillment. God's not on your time frame. God's not on your human finite mind frame where you want God to do this, that, and the third at this time. No, God says, you don't know my timing, and my timing is perfect. Sometimes I'm like, God, what are you waiting for? And he's like, Lewis, listen, little midget. And, and he, he never has called me a midget. That's just me throwing some extra. I don't want somebody to say, well, God would never do that. That's a false prophet. No, no. What I'm saying is I'm, I'm joking. God, God and me have this relationship where I highly respect him, and I think God has a sense of humor. Amen? And, and like in the Bible where the Bible says that Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and then it says, and he was hungry. No kidding he was hungry. And, and, and he says to me, Lewis, if I was able to fine-tune the rotation of the earth and the distance the sun is from the earth just so perfectly that life could be formed on this planet, I think I could handle your measly little life. And I'm so humbled to know that God, have you ever thought about that? I look at Pinocchio in Shrek, and I see the puppeteering sometimes when I was a kid watching Pinocchio, and I see God like that over my life, just pulling the strings and he's in control. And he's guided me. And he says, if you follow me, you're going to have provision when you keep your eyes on the shepherd. 
When it seems like you're lost, look up and keep focused on the shepherd. Don't stop walking until the shepherd stops going. And if you lose sight, speed up. The shepherd is just ahead of you. But here's my favorite one. I'm going to close with this. Here's my favorite one in verse 10. Maybe you should highlight it. Maybe you should draw a circle around it. Do something amazing to this verse in your Bible. He says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now he's talking not just about false leaders and prophets, but he's talking about the enemy, Satan. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's Satan's trifold purpose for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He says, my purpose is to give you life and to give it more abundantly. But the purpose of Satan is to destroy it, steal it, and do all types of bad things to you. But then he says, I have come. Somebody say, I have come. That they may have life, he says, and have it to the full. Your Bible might say, have it to the max. Your Bible might say, have it to the fullest. Your Bible might say, I've come to give you life and give it more abundantly. All types of translations. I don't want you to think we're reading this wrong thing. You're right there. He says, I have come to give you life and give it to the full. I love the way the Amplified Bible, it says, I've come to give you life and overflowing life. That's what I've come to give you. I, I have not come to suppress your life. I have not come to hold your life down. I have not come to distract your life. I've come to overflow your life with grace and mercy and truth. I've come to give you abundant life. That is the purpose of Jesus, to give you life and to give you abundant life. And, and church, I, I don't want you to be misconstrued with this verse because when we think abundant life in our, in our minds, we automatically think of material things that you would want. Yes, God wants you to have all these good things. And while that is primarily, uh, partially I'll say true, God's primary concern is your spiritual abundance. God's not concerned if you're going to have the best clothes in the world or the best houses or the best cars. And there's nothing wrong with having nice and new stuff. I believe that God blesses his children with that. I know some Christian people who are rich and they use their riches to defend the kingdom. I know people who are blessed by God and they're, they're overflowing with wealth, but they're gracious and they're humble. They're not concerned and their faith is not in the things they have. They could lose it in a moment and not be strayed from God. He says, I'll give you an abundant life. My last thought here is this, is he says, I'll give you this abundant life of spiritual blessings, an abundance of godliness, an abundance of spiritual sustenance, an abundance of grace and mercy every time you fall, an abundance of truth when you're steeped in the lies of the enemy, an abundance of revelation when you're caught in lies, an abundance of freedom when you're bound by sin, an abundance of love when all you've known is hate, an abundance of faith when all you've known is run from God. He says, I'll give you faith to come right back to me like the prodigal son when you've been away for a long time. But he says, listen, come to me. And I'm going to show you love. And I'm going to show you mercy. And I'm going to show you truth. And in your life, it will overflow. Because I am the gate of the sheep. You have nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. I love, I love, love, love Psalms 23. Many of you know it. I'll cover more of it next week. 
He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He goes on and on, all these verses, but he says this. He says this. Oh, my God, I love this. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And maybe when you read this kind of stuff, you don't think like me. But when you're around someone you hate or someone who hates you, I'll say, or you're around a, an enemy, maybe you were in high school and you had some girl, some little boy you ain't like, and they wanted to give you the business in the lunchroom. I remember coming to Bassett High School and being in the lunchroom and uh, straight down the hallway in the other building and just nothing but fights every day. That was where it went down. Everybody know what I'm talking about? One of the first things to go when you know that you're going to have a problem is your appetite. One of the first things to go when you're stressed out primarily is your appetite. Or you're eating all types of bad stuff because you're stressed out. So either your appetite is negatively affected or it's positively affected. It doesn't really happen. Either you lose it or it's really bad when you're in the midst of struggle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But, but, but that's not what David said. He said, when I'm with my shepherd, even in bad times, I have peace to fulfill. And I have an appetite because I have so much peace and so much joy and so much faith in him. That's what, that's what he's saying. I'm going to give you an abundant, overflowing life. And the question, church, is what do you do with that abundant life? Are you squandering the abundant life that God has given you? Are you squandering it on just living a normal nine-to-five life? Are you so distracted that sometimes in church you can't pay attention? Are you so distracted throughout your week that God doesn't receive time in your day? Are you distracted by the Lord Jesus Christ or from him rather? Are you so, what are you doing with the abundant life that Jesus offers you? What are we doing with that abundant life? I envision it like this, that in your hearts there's an overflow of love that flows from the throne of God. There's an overflow of grace and there's an overflow of mercy. Are you showing that love? Are you giving it to others? Are you showing it? Are you showing grace to others? Are you living like Jesus would? Are you being a representative and an ambassador of Christ? Or are you so caught up in your mind that you can't live the way you know God wants you to because of the things that happen up here? He said, I am the door. There's nothing you got to worry about while I'm sleeping at the threshold of your pen. I was driving here this morning about 7.20, picking up one of the brothers to come to the setup, and I was just thinking about that term, I am the door. And I was looking back over my life about times where doors have kept me in and doors have kept me out. Spiritual doors and, and physical doors. And I thought about how I lock up things to keep them protected, but I remember one day, one day, I remember when I was about 19 years old, I was in my bedroom with a friend, and my father was downstairs with some people from the church, and, and he had a wife and a husband there with their kids, and, and the young daughter of the church members were on the porch, and they came inside, and they said, Pastor, Pastor Felix, there's a fire outside. And usually when somebody says it's a fire, it's, it's not really a big deal. It's, it's not this big deal. Usually it's something small. In my neighborhood, it was usually me lighting stuff on fire. But this time, it wasn't me. And I heard the commotion from my bedroom, and I 
ran downstairs and I went outside and I, I looked across the street to see my longtime neighbor's house in flames. It was a two-family house and, and the flames were just ripping through the house so quickly and so fast. And my father and this brother, they ran across the street and they began to, to pound on the door and they began to pound on the door. And I thought it so ironic because the Bible says in Revelation 3, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man would answer, and any man would sup with me, I'll come in. I'll be there with him. And the second floor person, the gentleman rushed downstairs. And he said, what's going on? My dad's like, your house is on fire. And at this point, the fire was so fierce and so big, it had reached the, the, the utility pole. And, and, and the, the, the transformer blew, and, and the wires were falling, and they were alive. And I'm screaming to my dad from across the street, get out of there. Get, you're going to get killed. And I'm telling my father and this other gentleman, get out of there. Get, the whole neighborhood is shouting, Mr. Fearless, get out of there. And he, he took a big piece of wood and he's banging for dear life on this first floor door. But the woman was asleep with her two children. We, we sat there not knowing if she was home at first until the firemen came and they put the fire out after they came late. The whole neighborhood was screaming at them and yelling at them. And then came the fireman running with this little boy in his hands. And he runs outside and the boy is just not even living. He's, he's completely burnt. They pull the mother out. I'll never forget that moment in my life. Because it speaks so true in the spiritual context that if you're sleeping... In times where someone's trying to awake you and that someone now is God and you stay sleeping in times where the enemy's trying to destroy you and you stay sleeping and you don't realize that that door is Jesus Christ and he's at the door and he's not only at the door he's also knocking on the door and he's like listen would you listen to me would you realize that I have an abundant life for you and you're headed to flames you're headed to eternal damnation if you would just trust in me, if you would listen to my voice, I'll never forget my father, the, the image I have of him banging on the door with this humongous piece of wood, even just trying to break it down. And for some reason, and my dad was a, a big, big man, and he was extremely strong. And the other brother he was with was a very strong man. Probably actually two of the strongest men that I know at the time. And they could not get the door open for whatever reasons. Church, if you don't see the door, you might pay with your life. If you want to play this game of church just on Sundays, you might play with fire and lose your soul. You might come here on Sundays and not serve God all throughout the week because you're busy attaining your goals. But what does it profit a man to gain the world but lose his soul? What does it profit for you to accomplish every single one of your slimy little goals but yet not know Jesus as your Savior and, and your neighbors are going to hell and your friends are going to hell and your family's going to hell because you've never once opened your mouth about the shepherd who's put you into green pastures? Because you've never once sought after the king. 
that may sound so heavy and so dark and so dismal, but that is the reality that we face on a daily basis. Church, realize that there was a world around you that is gone and gone and gone, and it'll go to the day you die. But you got to stop in the midst of everything, and you got to say, God, I don't want to go with the flow of this river. What have you called me for? What have you purposed me for? Why did I come through your gate? I'm not here just to graze. I'm not here just to get to heaven. If God's point was just to get you to heaven, I've told you before, once you gave your life to him, he would kill you. But he has a purpose for you. He has a design for your life. He has something for you to accomplish for him. And my prayer for you today is you'll come to grips and come to terms that now it is not time to live like you have nothing to do for the kingdom, but now it's time, as the Bible says, to put your hands to the plow and begin to open up the seeds and the dirt of the earth so God can use you to touch others and you can see lives transformed. My job is not to change Bridgeport. My job is to preach to you, for you to change Bridgeport, for you to change Stratford, for you to change New Haven and Waterbury, and for you to do it. My job is to give you the marching orders from here. Your job is to go out there and do it. The best way for God to, to actually save a policeman is by other policemen who know Christ. And the best way for God to save people who are CNAs is other Christian CNAs. And the best way for God to save mechanics are through mechanics. And the best for God to save teachers are through other teachers who know God and can activate them for God. But yet, is that what you're doing? Are you bringing people to your shepherd so that they can find what you have found in Jesus Christ? Is that what you're doing? And maybe, maybe you've never made that commitment for Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never gave your life permanent to Christ. Or maybe you have week after week, but yet week after week, you never discipline yourself enough to do what God's called you to do. And all you do is live halfway for God. I want to challenge you so desperately because time is of the essence. You know, I, I heard this my whole life growing up to the point where it had no effect on me. They always told me, Jesus is coming. They used to try and tell you that. And it, you would hear that and you'd be like, No. If you hear that he's coming and you get scared, it's for one of two reasons. One, you're not ready, or two, you're selfish. Selfish meaning you have your whole life to live and you want to do what you want to do. Jesus, at some point, is coming. Lori reminded me of a quote that I said years ago, and that's, I'm going to live like he's coming tomorrow, but I'm going to plan like he ain't never coming. Because if I plan like he's never coming, I'm always going to be doing the will of God. And if I live like he's coming tomorrow, I can't be left behind. But one truth remains. That each day that passes, we're just one step closer to his return. And where is he going to find you? Will he find you in the sheep pen? Or will he find you out and about, grazing on your own time, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Come on, stand with me this early afternoon.
just bow your heads? Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. And if you can just stay still where you're at, if you don't have to move, please don't move. I believe many of you are in that category of you know, I've given my life to God but I haven't made that step to really go with all my heart and serve Him the way that I should come on this could be your week true spiritual maturity can come your way and maybe you're the other person you say pastor never made that commitment to Christ never gave my life to Jesus and if I have, it was a long time ago, and I have not kept my end of the bargain. But today, I want to recommit. Come on, with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one's looking at you. If that's you, would you lift your hand as high as you possibly could? Come on, thank you, thank you, thank you. You've never made a commitment to God. You say, I want to give my life to Him right this very instant. I'm tired. I don't want to be out of the sheep pen. I want to be with Him. Come on, maybe you're person number two, and you said, you know what? I made the commitment, but I'm not keeping up my end of the bargain. But now... I want to go all in for Jesus. Come on, lift your hand if that's you. Come on, hands are going up all over this room. Come on, amen. Come on, amen. As usual, the worship team's going to come. They're going to sing a song, but before that, we're going to say a prayer. Now listen to me. If you pray this prayer, and you give your life to Jesus Christ, as he said, all those who come through the gate will be saved. I want you to pray this prayer with boldness and authority. Don't try and be cute right now. If you've got to shout it out and let the devil know that you're giving your life over, you shout it out. Come on, somebody help him out. Say this after me. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, I couldn't even hear you. Dear Heavenly Father, I turn over my heart. I turn over my life. And I invite you in. I believe that your son he died on the cross he laid down his life he is the only way that I can be saved all my hope all my faith is in him so father I commit my heart and my life into your hands I confess with my mouth and I believe with my heart that I am saved in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, that's something worth celebrating right now.